Now, we're going to end up going to the book of Genesis chapter 3 in just a moment, but if I put a title on this, it would be Stop Dying and Start Living. You know, it's amazing through life that people think they're alive, but they're actually dying the whole time they're living. They're not progressing. They're not going forward. There's not energy being added to them. It's amazing how many men that I've run into, and I know we've got, you know, just a splattering of different age groups in here, that the only thing they look forward to is the day they retire. I said, you know who invented, I say this all the time, you know who invented retirement? The Germans did. It's true. Germans invented retirement to kill a man. That's what retirement came from. They would take a man's ability to express himself, his purpose in life, because they knew he would die within two years. It was never meant as a blessing. It was meant as a curse. And I've told people for years, you can retire from a job, but you never retire from service. You never retire from life. You never retire from purpose. That's what the only, the only reason why women outlive men is not because they're healthier. It's because of the old adage that a woman's work is never done. That's it. I mean, you can only fish for so long. You can only sleep in for so long. You can only go through another groundhog day for so long. And I've told people for years, I don't care what you do in life. You're never too young and you're never too old. So I tell young people all the time, I said, get off your phone, get off an image, and go out and live life again. I sat through numerous graduations at Christ of the Nation. So I saw thousands of students walk through the, uh, you know, the whole line to get their diploma and the whole thing. And out of thousands of students, only one guy ever asked me this question. It's amazing. You get very few, very few responses. Young, uh, he, he was uh, Mike. He actually interned with us for some time. And Mike's the only guy that walked up to me after he graduated from Christ of the Nations, and he said, what do you think I should do? He says, you're the only guy that only had the guts to ask me that thing. So I said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Now, you got to understand Mike. Mike's dad pastors Vino Nuevo Church in El Paso, Texas. got 10,000 people. Mike's grandfather started the Hombre a Hombre conferences in Mexico that grew to over 50,000. So this guy can write his own ticket. This guy can go back with his grandfather. He go back. And his uncle pastors one of the largest churches in what is Mexico. So he can go anywhere he wants. His cousin pastors the Hillsong Church in Monterey, Mexico. So he's got all these avenues, but he asked me. And I said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. I said, yeah, I'm going to put you on a plane. You're going to fly 7,000 miles to the South Pacific, a remote island called Vanuatu. You're going to stay there a year. You're going to live underneath trees. You're going to hike. You're going to show the Jesus film carrying a power generator, and God's going to change your life. He went. That's pretty good. I love that, man. He got engaged to what I call the Finnish wonder right before he left. She's from Finland. And uh, so he stayed. He only stayed eight months because the, because the cyclones came, drove him out. But he stayed. And he, that guy walked all over. He slept underneath the banyan trees and the rain trees. He hiked with a guy named Barnabas, a local, 
evangelists from the area up and down the mountains. And you got to understand Vanuatu. You probably never have no idea on the map where that even is. But Vanuatu has more languages per capita than any nation on the planet. Only has 200,000 people live there. They have 150, 150 local languages. That's where bungee jumping came from. One of those islands up there, because they because the inner manhood, a man had to tie a, a young 16-year-old had to find a root from a tree, tie it around, build a scaffolding, tie it around his his ankles, and then jump off a cliff from the scaffolding with a root or a vine from a tree, and if he lived, he was a man. If he didn't, he was dead. These are primitive people. And Mike stayed there, and he showed the Jesus film, walked into one village that had never had no idea who they they had no comprehension of the gospel, but there was a prophetic word given in that village years ago, and it said, when the cane in your fields that you use to build your homes dries up, a man will walk in and show you the way of salvation. He happened to be there the very year where the cane in the field that they used to build their homes was dried up. He walked in there, showed the Jesus film. Every single person got radically saved. Now, you don't think that'll change a 19-year-old's life? You don't think that'll affect his life from that, that point on? That's why I tell young people. I've done, I've done youth conferences all over the world. I said, put the dadgum phone away, get on a plane, go out there, and change the world. Stop dying and start living. What causes a 98-year-old man by the name of Wayne Myers that I met years ago that was saved on the USS Enterprise fighting the Japanese in World War II when a 500-pound armor-piercing bomb bounced off of the wooden flight deck into the Pacific Ocean? That's when he got saved. Great time to get saved when you didn't get blown up. And God dictated the call of God on three-by-five index cards. He's from Mississippi. God said, you're going to go back to America, you're going to go to Mexico, and you're going to build my church. He couldn't speak a word. He's from Mississippi. I said, did you speak Spanish? I thought to myself, he said, no. I said, people from Mississippi, they don't even speak English good, <laughs> let alone Spanish. And he went to Mexico after World War II, met Martha. She was from the States. He married Martha. He's been there ever since. He's just turned 98 the last day of August. He preaches four times a week to this day, built, raised the money to build 6,000 churches in Mexico. He's the, I call him the icon of Mexico. You can put a stake in the ground, go 50 miles from that stake, and you'll run into somebody whose life was affected by the gospel through Wayne Myers. I was with him in Singapore 10 years ago when he was just a young 88 we were walking the streets of Singapore. We were doing a, a missions conference there. And he looked at me. He, he speaks rather loud because he can't hear very good. He giant ears on him. And that's why when he holds up a cell phone, his ears hang it up. And so it's kind of unusual. So, so anyhow, we're, we're over there. And he, and he looked at me and said, I can't die. He said, I can't die. I said, why can't you die? He said, because I've got too much to do. There's 300 churches that I have to raise the money for this year to build. I can't die. When a man or a woman discovers their purpose in life, you will start at that moment to live, and you will stop dying. Are you listening? Over 30 years ago, yeah, over 30 years ago, 
we were injured to do the math in my head. We were introduced to a couple by the name of Graham and Irene Baker from Australia. At the age of nine years old, Irene, don't ever tell me God doesn't speak to young people and put a vision in their heart for their future. At nine years old, she received a word from God that she would marry someday a man and go to the nation. She didn't even know where the nation was, the nation of Papua New Guinea, and there bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. She became the youngest nurse that graduated in the history of Australia with an RN degree. She married Graham. She met Graham Baker. He was a builder, came from a very godly family. He was a builder by trade. They married, had two little girls. They packed up their belongings, and in 1964, they headed north to Papua New Guinea. Now, you probably know very little about Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea was the last cannibal nation on the planet. It was, wasn't outlawed until 1965. Tribal cannibalism was, was not outlawed until 1965 by the government. It didn't mean it stopped. It just meant it became illegal to eat your neighbor. They called it fattening your enemies. And they took two little girls, their belongings, and went to the eastern highlands of the nation of Papua New Guinea. It is one of the most primitive nations you've ever been. Ginger and I spent almost a decade every year going. We built 60 churches in that nation. It's amazing what happens over there. They're extremely primitive. It's not unusual. And the first thing they did is build a church. They got up there, and they had no contact with the outside world for the first five years. I'm talking about living. Stop dying. I'm leading into something. People that really live discover something from God in life. People that spend their life dying and never discover it. There's a reservoir, a well of untapped life inside of the human being that God put in there. He said, out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. That's life. Few people tap it. Most people hear about it. We sing about it. But do we ever tap into it? Do we ever let that thing flow? That artesian well that's unstopped, those rocks that have to be removed so that well of living life can begin to flow through us, that river of life that flows through us. So I watched this because we got to know, we've known them for over 30, I've supported them and helped them for over 30 years because when I saw them, they instantly became heroes to Ginger and I. And he's in, they're in their 80s now. And I watched, I heard their story. I went there year after year after year and saw what they had done. But they went there, the Eastern Highlands, had no contact with the outside world for the first five years. None whatsoever. Two little girls. Then they had two more. Four girls, little tiny girls being raised in a very primitive. was not uncommon for a woman there. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Not uncommon for a woman to have a baby nursing here and a piglet nursing over here. Because pigs were their currency. So if the mother pig couldn't nurse the piglets, then the woman did it. The mother did it. It's their currency. It's the, it, it, it's their, their value comes from that. Not uncommon. Very primitive people. Never saw a reflection in their face. Never saw a bar of soap. They thought that the reason why the white people were white from Australia is because the soap was white, and that's how the blackness came off their skin. So they would steal the soap to try to get the blackness off their skin. It didn't work. They had no idea. Never saw a reflection of their face in a mirror. Primitive people. They had the highest infant mortality rate in the world. It was not uncommon back then for a woman to have 20 pregnancies and only six living children. Because when she would give birth, the husband would dig a hole in the ground. She would crawl in the hole. He would leave. She would pull the baby out and give birth to it herself. And then they would throw a, 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 they would build a fire to kill the evil spirits. So the infant mortality rate was so high 
that a woman never named her baby until they were at least two to three years of age because they didn't want to create an emotional attachment to their children. Thus, you had many, many highest infant mortality. They built a clinic. Irene was a nurse. And in that clinic, there were six baby boys dead that she raised from the dead. And every one became a pastor in that nation. It's an amazing story. But it wasn't until the people of Papua New Guinea, you can't explain the gospel, you proclaim the gospel. They tried to explain it. The people didn't understand it. But when they saw the miracle power of God, because they understood the supernatural, they understood evil, they have spirit houses that the men go into and they conjure up demonic powers. But when the power of God began to show up and dethroned the demonic powers that were around them, their eyes were open and miracles began to flow through that nation. They built the largest church in Medang, Papua New Guinea. Then they built a Bible college and they planted 1,000 churches in that nation. And it's the only nation on earth that has the Bible inside of its constitution and they moved it from zero Christianity to 60% born-again, spirit-filled believers in one generation. That's living. The God that did that is not, is not the God that's over. It's the same God today. And young people can do it today. People can get it done today. There's a life, there's a reservoir that God wants to tap. Are you with me? Are you with me? But the first thing we got to do is dethrone the narrative that's always talking. That brings me to the book of Genesis. You see, every person, listen, 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 listen. Every person, every person lives their life out of a story, a narrative. We all know that. We don't have to think too hard to figure that out. From the time you and I were born to our parents, our culture, our upbringing, our disappointments, our successes, our failures, what we allow to be fed into our mind, everything creates an image, a picture. If that picture is accepted, it frames us. And then, all the, then, then it becomes our, our perception in life. We perceive life through that picture. We don't, none of us see life as it is. We see life as we are. I'm going to say it again. None of us see life as it is. We see life as we are. Life is always seen through us. You know, it's like the story of grandpa that was sleeping on Sunday afternoon on the couch. He had a big mustache. He had two grandsons that were mischievous. So while he was asleep, they went into the refrigerator and they found some Limburger cheese. You, ever, you know what Limburger cheese is? Huh? Horribly smelling cheese, and they smeared it in his mustache. Grandpa woke up. He said, Smells here. He went out to the porch, the front porch. He said, the, whole, the front porch smells. Went to the front yard. He said, Oh my God, the whole world smells. The only person that stunk was grandpa. But when you stink, the world stinks. Because life is never seen as it is. Life is always seen as we are. It's perceived through our eyes, through our narrative, through our picture. So God has to always challenge 
the narrative. And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam sinned and death came into him. God came to him in the third chapter, the 11th verse, and he said, look at it, look at it, look at it. And he said, talking, God talk. He asked him a question. God loves questions. God loves questions. God doesn't love robots. God doesn't make us robots. Jesus asks questions. God asks questions. Why? He doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know the answer. He asks a question to challenge the narrative. Questions make you think. Questions make you dig in. Questions think, well, I never thought about that. Well, wow, I never thought. Well, thank you for asking that. I never thought. Questions are powerful. And he said, Adam, he, about he said, who told you that you were naked? Now, listen, listen, listen. It's the first three words that are so powerful. Who told you? Who told you? Who told you? Who told you? I come from an Italian background. Who told you? Who told you? Who, t who told you? Who told you? Who told, who told you? In the last six months, 100, 188 nations have been shut down because of the wrong who told you. And the reason why God had to challenge the narrative is because of verse 10. And in verse 10 it says, so, I, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Two big words that stand out right there, fear and hiding. What have we seen in the last six months? Fear, hiding. Fear, hiding. Just, just stay put. Don't get out. Oh, my God. It's there. Like it's an entity. It's intelligent. Knows when to come, knows when to leave. Fear. Hiding. Fear. Hiding. No good will ever come from fear and hiding. Fear is sinister. It's devilish. It's demonic by nature. God never gave us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Hiding. It's a form of isolation. Whenever people isolate themselves, they insulate themselves. They don't move forward. They retract. They don't advance. They retreat. Nowhere in the Bible am I called to retreat. Nowhere in the Bible am I called to hide. Nowhere in the Bible am I called to be safe. That became a big buzzword. That absolutely aggravated me to no end. We want to keep you safe. We're trying to keep you safe. 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 Where? Why? 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 Why am I trying? Say no, no, no. The word save is in the Bible. The word seek is in the Bible. The word serve is in the Bible. The word sacrifice is in the Bible. And the word suffer is in the Bible. God never called me to be safe. God called me to save to seek, to serve, to sacrifice, and need be to suffer for his name's sake. But to be safe means I have to hide. To be safe means after Jesus never tried to be safe when he, when, when he left heaven to come to earth. Safe was staying in heaven. Sacrifice was coming to earth and picking up an old rugged cross and walking up Golgotha's hill and being crucified for the sins of humanity. 
When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it wasn't a safe commission. He didn't say, don't go to all the world. Just stay where you are because we've got an obtrusive government. We've got, we got Roman dictatorship. You might get killed. You might die a martyr's death. So, my God, just be safe and hide. And maybe, just maybe, someday, everything will pass away and you can actually have a safe place to preach the gospel. He didn't tell him that. He said, go into all the world. He didn't give him any, any, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't give him any, any health care plan. He didn't give him any benefits. He didn't offer him social security. He didn't offer them anything. He just took a bunch of ragtag 12 men, go and preach the gospel to every creature and these signs will follow you. And then he concluded, he said, and I'll be with you always. And those men went and every one of them, but John died a martyr's death. They took John and they boiled him in oil and that wouldn't kill him. So they, they exiled him on the island of Patmos and he wrote the book of Revelation. You couldn't stop those men. I've been to the hills outside of Madras, India, where Thomas was ran through with the spear and died. The guy that doubted Jesus actually went the furthest to preach the gospel. He went all the way to India. And by the end of the first 100 years, the, almost the entire um, uh, Asian and European world, almost all the way to England, had all two-thirds of the known world had been evangelized because nobody tried to be safe. They tried to go out, serve, sacrifice, suffer. But this gospel of Jesus Christ was meant to go into all the world. Are you with me? And it's that same spirit that's here today. It's that same God that's here today. It's that same heart and passion and that burning pioneer spirit that we need to capture back again and say, my God, I'm going to come out from among them. I'm going to be a child. I'm going to be the person that God made me. When a man or a woman finds purpose in their life, you can't kill them until God's finished with them. We're not here to be safe. We're here to go forward. We're not here to retreat. You don't win wars retreating. You win wars by advancing. If you don't believe me, go home again and watch the Braveheart movie. That'll put some hair on your chest, guys. William Wallace wasn't calling a bunch of guys to be safe. He was calling them to lay their life down because he gave them a purpose and a cause. And the same thing is true today. So, my God, it's time for the church to rise. I know I'm speaking to the choir, but it's time for the church to rise up and be the church. You have influence wherever you are. Use your influence. Express your influence. Don't hide your faith. Express your faith. Don't retreat from what God's called you to do. Advance to what God's called you to do. I'm going to give you three thoughts real quickly. Are you want them? Yeah. Do you want them? Trying to figure out which one I'll give you first. I'm going to do them in opposite order. I like just change it around. You know, there's one thing you always hear, and this is, ties into this safe narrative. This whole, this whole, we see, we, we create this misconception of God. Because we create a misconception of him, the, world's, the world has a complete misconception. But sometimes it's the same misconception that you find when Jesus 
came to raise Lazarus from the dead. You got Mary, you got the two sisters, Mary and Martha. You remember that? And Jesus waits. He's in the tomb now. Four days have gone by. Jesus shows up, and I think it was Mary that's, or Martha. Was it Martha first? I always forget. It's the 11th chapter. Martha looks at him and says, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. What was she saying? You could have prevented this. What do we hear all the time? Well, if your God's a God of love, mercy, and so good, how come he didn't prevent this from happening? How come God didn't prevent this? And then her sister, Mary, a couple verses later, she chimes in. She says the same thing word for word. That's why I know they were sisters. They had to have been living together. And she says the same thing. Lord, if you'd only been here, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. Prevention, prevention. Are you with me? Prevention. And then a few verses later, same chapter, the crowd, the Bible said there's a crowd, and they said, is not that the man that opened up the eyes of the blind? Couldn't he, and I'm paraphrasing, couldn't he have prevented or done something? Prevention, prevention, prevention. Can I just say something? God is not a preventionist. No more than any good parent that's ever raised children understands that if you prevent everything from happening to a child, they'll never grow up strong. There's times they got to fall. There's times they got to ride the bike and fall off the bike and skin their knees and elbows up. And they'll figure a few things out. There are times they got to butt their head against the wall and they'll figure it out. And a lot of you are here today because not everybody prevent. You prevent everything. You actually weaken the inside of a heart. It's the exposure to evil that creates the resistance to evil. Let that one sink in. That's why I've never believed in all those hand sanitizers. Absolute truth. Kill 99% of all germs. There's a lot of germs that are good. You're killing the good with the bad. And you can create such a clean environment that the body loses its ability and its immune system to fight the evil. Same thing true spiritually. It's my exposure to wrong that creates my resistance to wrong. You take a child and you hibernate them too long and you don't expose them to anything around them. That's why you ever been around Amish people? My wife was around some Amish people one time. The Amish people, they go crazy. They could, I figure it was called rap, rap skillion or something. It's a funny word, but they turn 16 years old and they go crazy. They go out to the world they just go crazy because they've never been exposed to anything and when they're exposed to evil they just drink it all in all at one time there's no resistance and the same thing's true God listen 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 God is not I won't hit you God is not God is not God is not a preventionist he is a resurrectionist Jesus said in the same chapter, he said, I'm, they're talking about, how come you, I said, he said, Mark, I am, 
I am the resurrection and the life. God's a resurrectionist. He'll bring dead things back to life. He'll show up in the midst of the fiery furnace. He didn't stop the fiery furnace. He walked into it. He doesn't know to stop the flame. He walks into the midst of it. He doesn't just stop a problem. He goes into the midst of the problem and he pulls out you out. Right out of the miry clay. The Bible said he'll pull you out of the miry clay and set, you on a, set your feet on a rock. He doesn't avoid the miry clay. He pulls you out. A lot of you are here because he pulls you out of the miry clay. Set your feet upon a rock. That's why this is called Rock City Church. Amen. That's the God we serve. That's the first thing. Second thing. Second thing. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, I just thought of it. This has always captured me. There was, you know, if God, there, there's in 2 Kings chapter 7, there's, there's a story about four lepers. You see, the background of the story is the gates of Samaria, uh, the Samaria was besieged by an enemy. Now, those cities were walled cities with gates. All ancient cities were walled cities with gates. That's how they protected themselves. And the enemy had besieged it, so they cut off their food supply to such an extent that the people inside the city, they were starving to death. They were involved in cannibalism. And there, the Bible said that outside the gates of the city, there were four lepers. Now, this is where the story to me got intriguing. Because if God can give a revelation to four lepers, I mean, these weren't four prophets. These weren't apostles. These weren't these, you know, this wasn't a Jeremiah that God spoke to him through him every day. These were lepers. I've been to numerous leper colonies. I know what leprosy does to people. I've watched the nose fall off, the fingers fall off, the toes fall off. They can't even walk because your toes are what give you balance. And lepers will huddle up in those colonies and they just, their physical body just starts deteriorating. You know, watch one where the whole nose was off, just holes inside of their head. They'll go blind eventually. And the Bible said there was four lepers. This is why the story is so powerful because God, if God can speak truth, that can change a nation through four lepers, what can he do through you and I? Four lepers sitting outside the gates of Samaria. And those four lepers came to a conclusion. I want you to listen to it. And that conclusion that they came to has built to this day, whether people understood it or not, it has built some of the greatest businesses, the greatest enterprises. It has launched some of the greatest missionaries that ever traveled the earth. Because they happen to discover this powerful concept. This four lepers discovered sitting outside the gates of Samaria. This four lepers found something that fast forward thousands of years. The greatest armies that have ever marched have marched under the principle of what those four lepers discovered. Some of the greatest enterprises ever built were built because they discovered what four leopard, lepers, men found out thousands of years prior to them. You want to know what it is? Do you want to know what it is? If you don't want to know, I'm not going to tell you. See, I found out a long time ago that preaching's like eating. No woman wants to cook. 
all day for men that don't want to eat. But while she cooks, she wants the people to say, is it ready? And she says, almost. And 10 more minutes go by and they say, is it ready? And she says, almost. Until the saliva glands are bursting inside their mouth. And the smell of the food's intoxicating their brain. And when it comes out, OMG. Because when you're hungry, everything tastes good. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you want to know? Yeah. Oh. And I didn't even get it all out. Four lepers discovered a truth that some of the greatest churches, enterprises, missionaries found the same truth. I'm going to give it to you. I, I feel it now. It's coming. They said something three times. They repeated the same phrase three times. They said, here it is, here it is, here it is. got to get it. They said, if we sit, we die. If we go in that city, we die. If we go to the enemy, we die. Any way you look at it, we're dead. We're dead. I love this. This is power. I'm telling you. I'm, I promise you this one thing. This man right here found that out a long time. I promise you. It's what launches people. Any way you put this together, we sit, we die. We go in there, we die. We go to the enemy, we die. We die. We die. We die. Now catch it. I'm out of draw down. I'm not, I'm not going any further than this. Any way you put it together. We die. We die. We die. We die. If we sit, we die. We go in that city. We die. We get it. We go to the enemy. We die. So watch what they did. This is this. See, now what? Let me back up. Here it is. When you accept the worst, you got nothing to lose. And the moment you got nothing to lose, you know what you lose? Fear and worry. You lose the only foothold fear has in a man or woman's life is if they think they can lose something. And the only way to dislodge the demon of fear and worry is to come to a conclusion. What's the worst that can happen? I die. Done. Done. So what they do, watch what they did. When you accept the worst, you got nothing to lose. When you got nothing to lose at that moment, you've got everything to gain. That's when people pull it out, man. 
That's when the great athletes run with all their heart. That's when gold medals are seized. That's when enterprises are built. That's when missionaries load up their clothes in their coffins and sail to the West Indies and Africa, the Moravians, and said, we're not going to end up coming back. Anyhow, we're going to go for broke. That's when people do daring things. That's when people come out of the closet. That's when people say enough is enough. There's no power on earth that can hold me down any longer because I have accepted the worst. And the moment I accept the worst, I got nothing more to lose, baby. And because I got nothing to lose, my God, I'm going for broke. I've got everything to gain. Watch out, hell. Watch out, devil. I'm busting through this thing one way or the other. As long as I'm trying to hang on to a reputation, as long as I'm trying to keep a nice little image going, I got something to lose and fear will always claw its way back into my life. But once I dislodge that thing, lay that thing down, I came in here naked. I'm leaving naked. I came into this thing without a reputation. I don't care if you like me or love me. I'm going for this thing. And it doesn't make any doubt. You want now watch what they did. Watch what they did. Watch the decision. As soon as they came to that conclusion, did they go into Samaria? No. They went for the biggest challenge. They said, we're going to the enemy. We're taking this thing right down their throat. We're going to the hardest. Because when you got, because it got, and as they begin to move, the moment, you watch the sequence of events, the moment they stood up and started going, God showed up. And he caused such a confusion to the enemy that by the time they got there, the enemy thought that an army of tens of thousands were invading them, and they fled. And there was all the food, all the gold, all the wealth. Everything was laying there because they got everything to gain. Are you with me? At that moment, the only way to beat anything is to come to simple. Now, it's not easy, but somewhere you got to come to a conclusion in life. God called me. God's spirit's upon me. We're going for this thing. We're part of Rock City Church. We're going for broke. We're going to build that building over there. We're going to knock, knock that thing out. And then we're going to go. We're going to change the world. We're going to affect the world. Because for this church to carry on its destiny and its passion and its purpose, it needs men and women that are going to stand up and take their passion and purpose, come along this side, this couple, and say, what, 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 what do we need to do? What do we come on? What do we need to get done? Count me in. We need man to be man again and stand up and fight and push this thing forward. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. 7.5 billion people and half of them have never yet even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why God raises up a Rock City church. He doesn't raise up a church just to reach a little tiny segment of the population, but he raises up a church to touch the world. Anything else would be a miscarriage of the mercy of Almighty God because God just didn't love one portion of the world. The Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why you give money. That's why you give your time, your talent, your treasury, because God wants your heart, your passion, your enthusiasm, your prayer, everything you've got. We're not just Sunday morning go to meeting people. We're people that are willing to pull out the stops, find out what the job needs to be done, work shoulder to shoulder, and get this thing done. And when men take their rightful place, then husband, then, then families will take their rightful place, and things will begin to, because the man is the thread of the fabric of society 
society that affects the entire family, that affects the entire uh, uh, community and nation. Amen. I'll give you one more story. Can I one more story? There was a young girl several years ago. She jumped off a high dive into a pool of water. She snapped her neck, became a quadriplegic, paralyzed. Not, not, not uh, a quadra, you know, not, not a, a paraplegic, but a quadriplegic. Paralyzed from the neck down. Her name was Joni Erickson. You might have heard of her. She got, got, got married. Joni Erickson Tata. She learned to paint with a paintbrush in her teeth. She used to speak years ago, I remember, in the Billy Graham Crusades. Amazing young woman. So years went by. She was in completely paralyzed, completely immobile. And she wanted to go minister in a federal penitentiary. And the protocol was, first of all, background check. You know, no problem. She hasn't ever done anything. And the second thing, fingerprint. And this is before the days of electronic fingerprints. They have those now. They didn't have those back then. So they wheeled her in her wheelchair, and she went through the whole process, and the officer was there, and he, he picked up her hand because she was immobile, put her thumb on the ink, and then from that on the paper. And when he did that, he looked at the paper, and, and he kind of scratched his head, and he said, uh, well, let's do that again because there's no fingerprint showed up. So they cleaned off her thumb, repeated the process, did it again, still no fingerprint. Repeated the process a third time, still no fingerprint. She looked at him. She said, is that unusual? He said, oh, yeah, it's pretty unusual. Yeah. But I've seen it on rare occasions. And then he explained. He said, because you've been immobile for all these years from the neck down, your hands are immobile. Everything's immobile. He said, it's sometimes it happens when people like you have been immobile for a long period of time. They lose their fingerprint. She asked him at that time, she said, who would have the deepest set of fingerprints? He always said, that's easy. Carpenters, plumbers, uh, concrete workers. Anybody who works with their hands. It doesn't change it. It deepens it. And I remember reading that story years ago, and I, and I thought to myself, First of all, I thought, what is a fingerprint? What is a fingerprint? It's a legal form of identification. It's you. And so I came to that scripture where those lepers said, if we sit, we die. If we sit. God never called me to sit. That's another S. Save, sit. Safe, sit. Safe, sit. He never called me to sit. Because if you sit, you die. If you sit, you die. You die. You see, if the only thing I do, I make no contribution in my Christianity. I come to Rock City Church and I sit, but I never serve. I never get involved. I never. The hand is always used in the Bible as the extension of energy, power, authority, and vitality. That's why. The Bible said, Jesus with the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand, stretch out your hand. Jesus stretched out his hand to Peter when he was sinking in the water. Uh, uh, Jesus is called, was sat at the right hand of majesty on high. The right hand is always used as an extension of power, of energy, of vitality throughout the Bible. But if I'm immobile, if I just come to sit, but I never... Use what I've got. I never extend 
my hand. It's, 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 it's a figurative speech. I never extend my hand to work. Every time I serve, I'm extending my hand. Every time I work, I'm extending my hand. Every time I give, I'm extending my hand. Every time I get involved, I'm extending my hand. And without extending my hand, my hand becomes immobile. And the longer my hand becomes immobile, immobile, I can come to a place where I've lost my ability to make my mark upon humanity. The people that make the deepest mark for God on humanity are not necessarily preachers, but they're men and women that say, whatever there needs to be done, I'm here to do it. Like a Daniel or a David or a Joseph, whatever there was to do, the Bible said he became the doer of it. And in prison, in a cell, he began to clean up the cells because whatever there was to do, he became the doer, the doer, the doer. And his fingerprint, God said, I found somebody that's a doer. I found somebody that's a worker. I found somebody that wants to do it, that wants to extend their hand. And because of that, I can use this man to make an imprint for me and change the direction of nations and humanity. And that's what God's saying, the same thing for you and I. When he finds that man, that woman that says, whatever there needs to be done in Rock City Church, I want to be the doer of it. My hand becomes extended, and at that moment, God says, that one I can use. That one I can use, because with that one, I can work through them to make my mark through their hand upon humanity. Amen. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. You're here this morning or this afternoon, and you would say on the inside, I've been gripped. I've been gripped with fear. I've been gripped with worry. I've been fear and hiding, fear and hiding. I, I don't want that anymore. I want to extend my hand. What am I put my hands on the plow, the Bible said, and not look back? I want to go forward because our life in Christ is always a forward life. And like Wayne Myers said, if you can't run forward, then walk forward. If you can't walk forward, then crawl forward but never go back. Our life for Jesus is a hand, is a life that expresses itself, that gives itself, that puts our hand to the plow, that stands up and says, whatever there needs to be done, let me be the doer of it. I don't care if it's cleaning a prisoner's cell. I want to be the doer of it. And if you're here today and you would say, count me in, I've been, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I want you to be honest, but I've been, I've been negligent. I've been negligent in these areas, but I want to step this thing up. I want to push this thing forward. I'm tired of sitting. It's time I get up and I begin to walk towards the enemy's camp. If that's you, put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Hands up literally all over the auditorium. Just lift them up, Lord Jesus. We just pray right now. Let something infuse everybody. Let the life of God, the impetus of God, the strength of God the vitality of God, the vision of God, the passion of God, the purposes of God. Let him infuse on the inside of every one of us right now. God, we don't want to be those that cower and shrink back 
in the day of calamity. But we want to be those that stand up and say, God, we're going to move this thing forward. As for me and my house, we will serve you all the days of our life. Bless the people. Bless every man, every woman, every young person. Put a fire in their belly right now, God. Give them a passion for the lost, a passion for the hurting, a passion for the sick and the dying. God, let Rock City Church explode, not only through Corpus, but all over this community and beyond. Let them affect the world and take this contagious spirit, this dynamite spirit, and bring this thing out and express it everywhere they go because the world wants it, desires it, and needs it. Lord, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.